Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so in a series of conversations with comics creators about their lives, their work, and comics. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome, Blockhead listeners, to a brand new episode, kicking off the summer with the madman of comics himself, Mike Allred, is here to talk to us today about his brand new collection called Mad Maniverse Volume 1, number one in a six-volume set collecting all of the appearances of Madman throughout the history. What is it, a 30-year history now? Almost. Actually, it is. It's 30 years Madman has been around. And Volume 1, which is out now and in comic book shops now, so head on out as soon as you can before they're all gone off the shelves. Madmaniverse Volume 1 from Dark Horse collects 680 pages, 680 pages from 1990 to 1996, including some of the earliest Madman stories from the original series, uh, Madman Adventures from Tundra, Madman Comics 1 through 10 from the Dark Horse run, some all kinds of great extras as well, pinups and, and extra things uh, from a variety of talents. It's chock-a-block full of wonderful stuff, so be sure to head on out to your favorite comic shop and pick up Madmaniverse Volume 1. Uh, it is the first in a six-volume set. I can't believe it. It's going to be great bringing together all this wonderful stuff, all the things that made Man-Man such a hit, and such a, a hit among those of us who loved both indie stuff back in the 90s and were maybe a little wary of mainstream stuff. Uh, one of the great things that Mike Allred has done in Madman for the medium, really, back in the early 90s, was to sort of weaken those divides, those barriers that were between indie aesthetics and mainstream aesthetics. He was one of those guys that came along at that period of time that really broke down those barriers and crossed over. And so indie folks, people who were into independent stuff and more esoteric material, people who were reading Chris Ware and Drawn and Quarterly and Seth and things like that, Daniel Close, loved Mike Allred stuff. And at the same time, people who were reading Superman and and X-Men and were into Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee and all that, they were into Madman, too. It, it attracted readers from, from a wide variety of sources, including myself. I'm not sure that those labels, indie and mainstream, really are pertinent, so pertinent anymore, because there's so much crossover. But one of the people who made that crossover possible was Mike Allred, and Madman in particular. So... If you've never read Madman and you're looking for a big chunk of what made it so special, Mad Maniverse Volume 1 from Dark Horse is your ticket. Be sure to check it out and do so through your, your favorite local comic shop, okay? You might want to get ready for Mad Maniverse Volume 2, which is coming out just in time for Christmas. Just in time for Christmas in December. So check out your previews catalogs. Be sure to order it. And either put it on your Christmas list or get it as a gift for the madman lover in your family, okay? So Mad Maniverse Volume 1, 
out now from Mike Allred, from Laura Allred, and uh, Han Allred as well. Uh, the Allred team is is worked together on this book, and has produced such such a great iconic comic book figure as Madman. Wonderful stuff. We'll get right to that interview with Mike, but before we do, I just want to remind you of my own project, a brand new comic book series called Green Screen, which is now on Webtoon's Canvas, and Green Screen number one is going to be a Kickstarter later this summer. You'll hear the lowdown about what this book is about, what its subject is, in the middle of the podcast, but in the meantime, you can get news, updates, sneak peeks, and other stuff, including the announcement of the Kickstarter, on my Instagram, at Green Screen Comic. Be sure to follow at Green Screen Comic for more news and updates about my brand new comic book series and the Kickstarter that'll be happening later this summer. So let's get right to the interview with Mike now. It starts a little abruptly because I didn't have the record button pressed when Mike first came on the air, so don't let that throw you. The interview picks up steam right away, so let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it. Mike Allred and myself in conversation. You're working right next to your wife of how many years now have you and Laura been together? Uh, we've been together since literally the moment we met, uh, which was uh, October 22nd, 1980. Oh, my God. Man, that that beats my wife and me. We, we've we been together, met in 1982, got married in 86, So um, and and pretty much work in the same space as well, although that's not always the case. But, well, man, we, that's we don't We don't work in the same space. She oh, has I her... We, we used to, but uh-huh. then uh, we we added on to our house. Uh, we added on my uh, a space for a uh, custom space for my studio and and then the same for her. So our, our spaces are very different looking, but hers is perfect for her and mine is perfect for me. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so uh, that, no, that's a result of, of no acrimony working together. It's just a matter of, okay, we can, we can expand and, and do this now. Yeah. And circumstances. I mean, uh, she, she puts in less hours than me, but uh-huh. she also, uh, watches a lot of the kids. And uh-huh. so her place is more of a kid friendly space. Mine is more of a performance space. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So m- if you were to walk into my studio, you would uh, see, uh, uh, a performance stage, uh, uh, where, you know, we'll, we do karaoke and whatnot, and you're looking at theater seats. Oh my God. And then to the, uh, so to one side is the screen for watching movies. And you look to the other side from the theater seats to see the stage for, you know, karaoke and stuff. And, uh, about a week or so ago, we actually had live music. Oh my uh, God. Is it your and, band or was it somebody else's? No, it was, uh, Ben, who I'm working on a, a Ben Professor Ben Saunders. He's he's a, a professor of English um, at the University of Oregon, but he also curates museum exhibits. And there's this huge Marvel traveling exhibit that started under the Space Needle and it has been moving around. I think it. Uh, where is it now, Brian? I think it's in Michigan. Uh, yeah, Michigan, and I think it's going to Chicago next. Um, wow. but it's very epic. It has sculptures and interactive displays. And, and here at the university, he's put to, he put together, uh, a history of superheroes, which, uh, even though he's not a superhero, it, like one of the earliest original pieces that was up was, uh, a Prince Valiant, 
Oh, Hal Foster, and which you know is almost as big as a door. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then he also curated a EC Comics exhibit, uh, a Peanuts, a Charles Schultz exhibit, wow. uh, right here, just off the hill from where we live and work. Um, and he's from Wales, uh, uh, so he talks funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but we still understand. <laughs> no, he's 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 fantastic. Just one of our dearest friends, and he's also a very talented musician. And and we're working on a, a, a music project together. And um, so he he just uh, grabbed one of my guitars and uh, plugged in a mic and just started singing. And then um, everybody else uh, who felt inclined uh um just so uh my son and and uh my daughter's boyfriend and anyway it, so it it's just a very my studio is for being entertained and then at the back the highest riser in the back of the seats is my uh workspace that's where my drawing table and everything and computer and everything is so i i'm kind of if, if you were in a movie theater i would be under the projector light wow Oh my God, this is incredible! What a what a fabulous space! I, I, you know, it's it's like a multimedia arts festival space. I mean, and, are, and a library. <laughs> the and one library. side of the wall is just just hundreds and hundreds of books filling up an entire wall. So it and um, this is just it's just accumulated into this over years, and then when we um, added this space, everything just naturally pulled into my area. And Laura's is, uh, you know, she has her big screen TV and whatnot. And and similarly, in the back of the room is where her workspace is. Uh-huh. And then, so it's a big open room where people can just kind of hang out and the kids can run around and get a little messier and whatnot. Well, so so how many children do you have? And are th- are we talking about, because I know you're close to me in age. I'm 61 this year and I don't want to give away any secrets, but I know you're somewhere in the ballpark. So I'm, I'm heading in that direction, but I, I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> not quite there yet. Yeah. Um, but um, we, we, we were, uh, we were t- still teenagers when we got married. We were married nine, uh, months from the day we met. And, uh, um, and then our, so we started our families young and then we have three, uh, two boys and uh, two sons and a daughter. And they also started their families young. So, uh, and, and then we have, uh, six grandkids and, uh, so, and we all live within walking distance of each other. So we're this, we're, we're just living in paradise as far as I'm concerned. Everything is, I know this isn't going to last. Eventually people are going to, decide you know they'll take a job here or move there but as of right now it's the most ideal existence i could possibly imagine and even brian brian's within walking distance and if we could if we could get ben up on the hill here we we'd we'd never need cars (laughs) (laughs) oh my god man it's just uh, it sounds wonderful Uh, and a completely functional family as opposed to dysfunctional Uh, i mean really oh we we have our dysfunctions (laughs) (laughs) i mean uh i i i don't i mean some i'm very hesitant to even describe the kind of things i just described because um I, I don't ever want to be a source of envy or 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 elitism in any kind of way. I just, I mean, I I I think we've just kind of customized our lives gradually 
over time and just found these perfect, we just found ourselves in this really nice place, but we scrap and uh, we have, we have our problems and we suffer like anybody else. But I think uh, one thing I'm very grateful of is most of the people that surround me are, are optim optimists. Uh -huh. And I, I've found that that's the best way to get through life is just to just really try your hardest to stand the positive side of things and uh, don't let, you know, other people's opinions and, and uh, you know, just if somebody wants to be overbearing and push on you, you just got to smile and, and move out of the way, you know, and just do a jujitsu move on them and let them move past. But uh um, I, I think over time we've just realized that, and we've polished these philosophies and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so when we have strife and conflict, um, within or without the family and friends, it, uh, problems are short lived and solutions are quicker to, to, to come and, and, uh, creativity flows. Yeah. And, and love conquers all. I mean, really, I, it does. I, it really does. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, there's something I was going to talk to you about at some point or another. I wasn't uh, thinking we'd get to it at this point, but that's like an underlying theme through all, all of your work that I can see. And uh, uh, this idea that love, love, what, Joseph Campbell had this wonderful saying, and it almost brings me to tears to, to mention it every time I say it, it's love bears all things. And um, true love bears all things. And I, I just think that is a, an incredible sentiment. But if you have it in your life, if you're lucky enough to have it in your life, you find that indeed that is true, that uh, through all these kinds of moments of pain and sorrow, love will, will get you through it um, and, and carry you to the other side. And, uh, and that comes through in your work, you know. And as a matter of fact, I believe that's a quote from, from the ending of um, one episode of Madman Atomic Comics. I can't remember the one where he's stuck in the snow globe, I think. And um, oh. <laughs> so, you know, so, I mean, there it is right out, right out front. But I think that is something that's true in your work. And it comes across. I mean, people say that all the time about your work, it's, it, that it's joyful and it's optimistic. And, and yet there's all these struggles and strife that goes through, particularly Mad Men is what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of your more personal stuff. But you know, uh, there's this optimism and joy that comes through. And I think this other thing, this bond between Matt, you know, Frank and Joe, which, uh, sometimes, you know, in our minds as an audience translates as, as Mike and Laura and, um, and ourselves as well. You know what I mean? Um, I denied that for years. And finally I realized there was no shame in admitting that, um, that I, that they are definitely, that mm -hmm. um and um and, and the way frank einstein does just doesn't understand why joe loves him that you know why does this beautiful perfect woman love him and uh he's not worthy i i feel like my life was front loaded with pain and awfulness i it, it just very briefly i would just to help explain i i feel like I had a perfect childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, like my, my, when I was a little kid mm -hmm. and then right before puberty and for years after, and, t and actually until meeting Laura, just one horror show after another, um, just 
and and it's like just almost an unbearable existence in so many ways and um and then meeting her was just one of the greatest gifts of my life and and i i just could never understand what she saw in me (laughs) and um and that actually was a problem for the first probably three years of us being together was i sometimes i would just be a monster to test her and um you know push her away and see you know you need to see the the ugliest parts of me so that you i'd rather have you leave me now than later i guess ultimately was that Uh and then finally we just we were on a road trip and uh we just had this long conversation and she just kind of like said why why do you want to create problems <laughs> i i love you i'm here with you I, what do i have to do to prove to you that that i i i want to share my life with you and if if we you love me right yes i love you yes and then let's be nice to each other and from that moment on every year has just gotten better and better and better and better and then just yesterday some people that are very dear to us were just kind of struggling and kind of in this uh let's let's give up and weren't open to any kind of advice and and Laura and I were saying I'm how grateful we were that we figured out that yeah we can be angry with each other we can have fights we can even actually say I hate you right now but what we realized early on was those things are temporary. And if you realize that, even in the heat of it, you know, oh, I'm so pissed right now. Mm-hmm. But you know it's gonna, that's going to go away and the real core of your relationship is what's going to hold you together. And then a week later you'll be like, wow, that was really stupid, wasn't it? I'm so sorry. You know, that would... that. Mm-hmm. We just need to listen to each other a little better. But but her and I just kind of sharing this epiphany together just yesterday about how grateful we were that we know that the hard times are temporary. Mm-hmm. And what what a, initially got you together can be not only re-nurtured and rediscovered, but enhanced. Because mm-hmm. I can truly say I love Laura more now than I ever, ever, ever have. It's, it's it so it there that initial attraction and explosion of affection has not faded mm-hmm. and i mean it, it dims at time but over time it grows and something much stronger takes root oh yeah and and i'm so grateful that every horrible and wonderful thing in my life since has been shared with her and we can we have a shorthand where we can just refer to something and we both know what we're talking about whether it's somewhere we went uh uh an experience we had or a Mm -hmm. conflict that we had we've shared those and and i just can't imagine starting all that over with somebody else yeah uh i mean well when you're talking about 40 years of a relationship it's my life 
yeah, it's your life. It's your life. And, uh, and this is ultimately what it, what it means, you know, all the work and everything is one thing, one aspect of the life and it's a big part of it. But yeah, ultimately when it comes down to it's, it's what we're sharing with this other person or with our partner and, and, uh, or with the people who surround us in life that we meet through life. And And I freely admit now that Mad Men is all about Laura. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's that it's, it's, this life is a crazy adventure and through all of it there's this source of love and joy and optimism and light at the end of the tunnel uh you know through every through every challenge and so yeah it, it um in in many many ways well, frank einstein and joe are, are me and laura yeah, and what what was it when you were younger that kept you away from admitting it? I mean, there's there's no shame in that, you know, right? So oh, I I didn't I I didn't I I wanted to protect. I I didn't want to be judged. I didn't want to pe- people to infer things. I mean, for instance, if I have Frank Einstein do something really crazy, I don't want anybody to immediately think that well, that, well, Allred did that. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> so I, I wanted I wanted to protect the fiction. And, um, so, but, but to freely admit that, yes, it's, I take inspiration from our relationship, then that's what I'm saying. So I, I just wanted to keep, in fact, in almost every aspect of my creativity, I want to keep it as mysterious as possible. Mm -hmm. And like the only times I'll even share, uh, I used to even be hesitant to tell people what pencils I use and what brushes I use. And I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I don't because, uh, it's not, um, I, uh, yeah. So I'm a little more generous in those kind of things, especially in person, mm-hmm. but, uh, I'm really hesitant to just, uh, you know, just throw information out without knowing the kind of context that people are receiving it. So I'm very protective of, of, uh, of a lot of things in that way, weirdly. And, and a lot of it has to do with being vulnerable in my youth and having people hurt me. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, I, I take a lot of strength from, from keeping walls up. And, um, so, but I've been, I, as the older I get, the less I feel that's necessary. And the, the, the shorter the walls become. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, it's something I, I kind of relate to, but in a little different way. I'm not sure maybe if this rings a chord or not. Well, on the one hand, I kind of believe in the, in the creative process, there's this kind of mysterious alchemy that you don't want to mess with too much. Yeah. And so, you know, when there's like a new project or a new idea percolating, you don't want to open up about it because I'm not quite sure I want to mess with what's happening here. And then um, what was the other thing I was thinking of? Uh, Well, I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Things are going along well. I don't think I want to say it out loud, you know? I don't know if any of that brings a chord. It's also like it's a magic trick. Creativity is a magic trick. And and if you want to be a magician, then you... Uh, need to befriend a magician and learn the tricks <laughs> if uh, or the same with like filmmaking and any aspect of storytelling you know um, if if you are an artist and need to learn the craft that's one thing but for somebody that just wants to be entertained or inspired I I feel like the magic needs to be protected mm-hmm. and some uh, like for instance I remember like Star Wars is one of the most impactful experiences of my youth 
Mm-hmm. I, it, that one of the most magical things that ever happened to me was my first exposure to that. Mm-hmm. And then I remember about a year later, a special or something where they're saying, this is how this was done. And, and I was super interested in it. But then afterwards it's like, oh, I wish I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, it kind of happened again with, uh, the Mandalorian mm-hmm. where, um, I was really excited to hear about the, this, uh, technology that John Favreau has, uh, you know, uh, encouraged and, and expanded and, and where the environments, uh, the actors, the performance are, are actually seeing these things as opposed to, I remember hearing Ewan McGregor complain that each with each of the prequels, there was less and less environment. They, they built fewer and fewer sets. So by Mm -hmm. the time they did revenge of the Sith, they're just on blocks of, you know, blue and green. Yeah, and and pretending everything, and now that he's uh, filming uh, the uh, Obi Wan series, that he's in that uh, I forget what they call it now, but the studio that um, where they go in there and it, they're surrounded by these pre-made um, environments. Mm. So you, they really are seeing the creatures. They really are seeing the planet that they're on, and um, it's really exciting, and. So, uh, so again, when I, 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 it's always a mixed bag when I learn how something is done that I'm going, Oh, okay, well that's real. And that's not real. But then, um, fortunately I'm always able to just kind of turn those things off and, and let the fantasy take me over. And, uh, I, and I don't worry about, so I, my brain with that kind of stuff is split in half. How did they do it? Well, that's really interesting how they did it. And then, okay, now forget all that and just enjoy what was created for my entertainment and my escape. Um, so anyway, that's just kind of a long way of going around what, why I feel that, uh, that creativity and art is a magic trick. Mm-hmm. And, and so again, I, when I know that somebody is interested in the craft, then I'm more apt to share, well, this is how I did that. Mm-hmm. These are the tools that we used for that. Um, that's how we got that texture. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's why I brought in that story element. That's why I decided to to shift the story around like this. But then somebody who just wants to be entertained and 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 inspired or if I find some escape, I want to protect that mystery. I want to protect that that magic. And so I, I I'm less. You know, so so in other words, you're not going to see tutorials from me online, right? Because um, I I my tutorials are like for somebody I'm having a conversation with, or somebody that visits my studio, or somebody that waits in line at a show, and shows me their work. And you know, how do I get here? That mm-hmm. that's where I'm going to be. Uh, that's where my generosity will most likely show up. Mm-hmm. When you're yeah, and so for the audience at large, though, it's a matter of maintaining the artifice, maintaining the the illusion that this is conjured out of whole cloth, and that you're, you know. So I mean, I I think it's you're absolutely right. It's you can compare it to a magician's trick or or that kind of world. Um, uh, you you want that audience to be captivated and not be thinking about the mechanics of it. You want them to be lost in the story. And, and that's exactly right. Yeah. I I. And also you can also, I, 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 my work is never as good as I want it to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, and I feel like what it, 
what I'm doing right now is the best thing I've ever done. I've always mm-hmm. felt that way through my entire career. And what's in front of me right now, this is the best thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And then from time to time, somebody will come along and say, oh, this was my favorite of yours. I wish you, I wish you drew like that. Oh. <laughs> you know, and I and I and I'll look at it. I'm I'll, I'll keep an open mind and 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 I'll think, what are they seeing there? And is it because of where they were in their life at that time, or mm-hmm. um, you know, what what is it about that exactly that? And because I I'll see the flaws in it, sure. and and wonder why do they value that more than this here, which is the accumulation of all of my experience and skills, you know, and, uh, so, um, I, that, so that's what I've come to realize that people, there's what, there's what is actually literally on the page. And there's also how every individual perceives it and how they filter it. And so if I'm telling them in great detail, how they should perceive it, then again, I'm taking something away from them. And I want, I want it to be their own personal, unique, special experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be, so a, a friend of mine, Steve Siegel, actually the first professional I ever met in the comic book biz. And we've worked together in a few things. He co-created Ben 10 and, um, mm-hmm. uh, big hero six. Anyway, um, I used to teach uh, television production at the air force Academy. And when I met him in Colorado Springs, his dad had the exact same job that I had had. And so uh, we just kind of went from there. But then as I was, uh, as my career started to progress and largely thanks to him, by the way, he gave me my first big break, but I, I would, I like started to go uh, uh, like he, Oh, what happened was he started praising my work. Uh I was like, Oh, I, I love this. And I like how you did that. And this is really strong. What I then started to do was tell him everything that was wrong with it. And, <laughs> and he sh- just said, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Why are you ruining it for me? Uh, you know, take a compliment. You don't need to point out what's wrong with your work. If somebody doesn't see what's wrong with it, let, that's a good thing. Right. right. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. You know, uh, uh, I mean, you don't want to spoil the illusion and you don't know what I mean, you're going back to what you're saying is, you know, what somebody's bringing to it. Formative experiences, you know, favorite is different from best. You know what I mean? A, a critical evaluation is different from what you fall in love with. And love is do, not based. It, it is a it is a effort. I mean, there there's a participation here. Yeah. Uh, what I do is only a small part of it. How somebody receives it, that how what they project onto it, what what they pull from it is where the real power comes from. And an example of that for me personally would be like when I'm a kid and I'm reading, um, you know, those early Marvel comics and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, and Steve did go this and Jack Kirby that. And, and it's like, it's all just the most amazing stuff I've ever seen mm-hmm. now ha- having again, learned all the magic tricks. I go back and I look at it. I can see how inconsistent it is and uh, where the flaws are and um, how some story elements don't hold together. And, (laughs) and, uh, and again, where I I can separate my brain. um, So I can see that from a technical level, but then I put that aside and I let my other part of my brain reconnect with that magic again. And, and the flaws, just float away 
and, and also like the different inkers. This inker did a better job than that inker, and it, mm-hmm. and and so you can look at stuff technically, but hopefully, what you take all entertainment. I, I'm I'm your best audience, whether film, music, whatever. I I will always just try to enjoy it on a on a just a very primitive level. Then my critical self will, if I allow it can mm-hmm. come in and go well that you know the the guitars fall apart here or in uh, in this movie that i don't i don't believe these two actors like each other you know so it, it, you can just kind of you you can pick things apart somebody that's how they entertain themselves is picking art apart oh yeah um, right but for me it's it's uh, i want the art to come to me as pure as possible and and uh, like it 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 was at least a year before I realized that Phantom Menace wasn't anywhere near as good as I thought it was <laughs> because I was in the moment. I was the enthusiasm of sure. being back in that galaxy again was so powerful that I, w- I just enjoyed it just intensely. And then it was only later that I realized, you know, Jar Jar Binks is kind of annoying, isn't he? And, um, you start so, but I, I like to be a, a, an accepting positive audience. I like to be, I like to find the good in things. I like to take joy from my experiences and I can have a critical eye, but it's, it's not a priority on anything. So, yeah, I mean, and actually, you know, why should it be, you know, I mean, uh, you're right. Some people do find the joy in, in just, you know, deconstructing and picking things apart and saying this should be better and that should be better. But on the other hand, then, and, you know, in order to help somebody constructive, in a constructive way to help them grow, critique has its place, you know, uh, obviously. Yeah. And, and so that's a big part of, as you were saying, though, it's like if you're teaching. But never them, anonymously. Never, ever. Okay, yeah. yeah. No, well, actually, I, I agree. Anonym, anonymous criticism is just cruel. Yeah, and it's it's usually cowardly, you know. Um, but I'm thinking more of lo- uh, along the line, the profession I'm, I'm in is, you know, I'm a university professor, and so I, I in an art department, I teach, you know, kids. And, um, oh, right on. So that's a big part of what I do. And so, you know, I've been doing it a long time, and I'm, I'm pretty good at being very gentle and constructive with critique. And one of the things I tell my students when we're having a critique in class is, look, this is not about tearing somebody down. This is about finding something to help them build up and to take something positive because we all have these issues. We all grapple with various issues in our work at one point or another. What you're trying to do is give out some, some advice, some critique that is constructive and going to help them progress not stop them in their tracks and want to hide in the closet someplace because you've yeah. destroyed them. You know, that's what it's about. And, and that, and so on that basis, it's important and you can engage it there. But if you're just like, you know, there's a point at which you just want to sit down and enjoy, you know, the next star Wars movie or the next, you know, I'm thinking about when, as we're talking, I'm thinking about bubblegum pop music back in the sixties, yeah. you know, you know, it's just bubblegum pop and, and what it is, but Hey, you know, wasn't that, a, isn't that a great, two minutes, you know, that yeah. 45, you know, what a, that riff makes me feel good. Let yeah. me enjoy it. Let me enjoy it. I know it's, I know it, there's no meat to it, but just let me enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. It's two, two minutes of, you know, whatever, you know, whether it's the grassroots or it's, it's, you know, sooner or later or whatever. That, oh man, I love the grassroots. Oh man, I, we used to, you know, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, that's a long, 
music is a big thing. Well, actually, we could talk about music, but yeah, Grassroots were a lot of fun. Made some great records. There's a whole pile of bands from that period that made some, you know, great two-minute records. That the the art of the two-minute forty-five or two and a half-minute forty-five. And oh man, one of the highlights of my childhood was our our uh, my older cousin was sent to live with us uh, for uh, a while. Um, she was getting in trouble. Is <laughs> my uh-huh. dad's dad's sister's daughter. Mm-hmm. And she came to live with us and she brought a record collection and I was exposed to stuff that I never would have been exposed to otherwise. And <laughs> when she was staying with us, she actually went to the, uh, uh, fair where she saw the grassroots. And then, so she bought a bunch of grassroots albums and stuff. So oh. that was my exposure there, but also just, there's something you were saying earlier about, you know, um, nurturing your students and, mm-hmm. And the, the the best advice that I was ever given was from my father. And this is the advice I give people. And my dad was a Renaissance man. He was a psychologist by trade, but he also did, he tried everything. Um, and I, I, I tend to attribute to him having lost his left hand, which was a, a mystery. He, he had endless stories. Everybody, every time somebody would ask him how he lost his left hand, he would have a whole other story. And when he passed, there was this memorial and everybody got up and uh, he told me he lost it, a propeller, cut it off and uh, a shark bit it off. You know, and it was just all just a uh, hand grenade blew it off. Um, but oh. he he got involved in everything. Uh, uh, he uh, was a pilot. He uh, got the highest um, award for gliding, it was oh. parachuting, scuba diving. He built two open cockpit biplanes in our basement. Um, <laughs> like- and um yeah, he, 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 and he actually, uh, Ken Kesey was his orderly at the oh. VA hospital where, Electric um, acid test. Yeah, where, and where uh, cuckoo's nest was largely right, right. derived from, but, um, hopefully none of the negative stuff from, to my father, but, um, he, but he was also a frustrated artist and, and he surrounded us with, uh, uh how to books like the Andrew Loomis drawing books mm-hmm. and, um, sure. And then, but it, the advice he, he would give is, uh, like, are you, do you enjoy doing this in anything, anything we found pleasure from, do you enjoy this and don't lose that joy? Uh, don't never let it, be, never let it frustrate you. And because what will happen is if you enjoy doing it, like piano practice was a nightmare, mm-hmm. um, and so I never really picked up on piano. I did on guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I kept my joy. When you continue to enjoy something, you'll continue to do it. And if you continue to do it, you can't help but get better at it. That's right. And the better you get at something, the more you enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's this, it's this positive swirl that just keeps lifting you up and lifting that particular skill level or talent up. So the the most important thing I tell anybody, like if they show me their, their portfolio and, um, and I'll just, uh, do you enjoy doing this? Is this, is this frustrating? Do you get frustrated, uh, trying to improve and, and because if you are do everything you can, Oh, the boss is calling. Oh, okay. (laughs) Hey, Laura, I'm, I'm doing a podcast right now. I need to know what noodles you want. Oh, I don't care. Um, I don't care. Anything. I'm surprise me. Okay. Love you. Bye. Love you too. Bye. <laughs>
it sounds so much like my own. <laughs> my, my, what kind of noodles do you want? Well, I'm not sure, but the uh, exact same thing. Oh my god. Uh, we we were watching a movie or something last night, and somebody was eating Chinese noodles, and we're like, we want that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was too late to order anything, and yeah. and so that so. But hey, that's that's a classic example of how she you know, thinks of me and. I'm glad we had her on the podcast, too. (laughs) Great. Hey, folks, it's time to take a break, stretch your legs, go for a walk, get yourself something to drink, a little nosh, if you will. Come back when you're ready. In the meantime, here's some information about my latest project. What if movies weren't just flickers of light on a screen, but windows into real worlds in alternate dimensions? What if one day you found yourself transported to the land of Oz and the Wicked Witch of the West was chasing after you? In green screen, a Hollywood sex symbol wakes up one morning to find she's in an alternate reality called the Cineverse, where she's no longer a movie star, and every movie ever made is a real world. She travels from one world to another, wrestling with movie monsters and evil empires, struggling to find her way back to a world where movies were just movies, and a green screen, only a blank surface. Green Screen is a sci-fi fantasy comedy comic book, 32 pages in full color. Subscribe on Webtoons Canvas. Be sure to follow at Green Screen Comic on Instagram. I I don't even remember what I was saying, but... uh, uh, Oh, let's go back. We were talking about being positive and the joy, and and if you're enjoying... Oh, yeah, telling people to just, you know, just exactly that. You obviously love to draw. Um, I can tell you some technical things, and I do. I will share, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll show them, you know, here's my preferred pencil. Here's my preferred brush. And I used to use these, but now I use these because, you know, Joe Quinones uh, showed this to me. And it was like, wow, I like that better than that. And mm-hmm. oh, Charles Burns told me to use this. And so I tried that. And um, and so experiment. Find what feels comfortable in your hand, what you know, what works for you if you don't want to use a brush, if you want to use a pen, here's air pens that I have found I like. Don't use these because the ink fades. So there's uh, there's technical things that I can share. But what's most important is to that love of creativity. Do, don't let anybody discourage you from it. Don't ever let, like, if I right now told you that your stuff looks awful and give up now, then you should ignore that. Just put, just say, you know, forget you. I, that, you know, you, you may not like it, but I like doing it. And if you continue to enjoy doing it, you will get better and better and better. And, and it will, it will be this lifelong love affair with creativity. So just do everything you can to retain your enthusiasm. I, I do that by, uh, you know, discovering artists that inspire me and mm-hmm. and uh which so i'll look at their work and it just wants it makes me want to get right back to the the drawing board and and i know i want to make more stuff too you know it's it's a thrill to know that today something will exist that didn't exist yesterday yeah and yeah. and every day is that opportunity and that's what continues to fuel me well, and, yeah. I, and i like looking i like watching this shelf just get wider and wider and wider of stuff that we've done and has been published and 
collected it it's really fun to just see it just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger oh, man and you then got... I look back and I, how did we possibly do thousands and thousands of pages how was that possible it's unbelievable i mean i i can't believe how much stuff of yours i have and i don't have anywhere near everything and uh it's it's just a stack of uh, why is that jeff why is that <laughs> sorry man <laughs> well you know <laughs> i got i got a, my dogs to feed i got you know <laughs> mortgage to pay no it, you know there now are you have uh, a to-do list i have yeah right i gotta get everything all red's done no i i, I got a pretty good collection but it's still nowhere near and and if i can make still, just make one suggestion because it's it's fresh in my mind because i was yeah. just talking about this my older brother who introduced me to every great comic book when i was a kid and and largely influenced my taste which i'm infinitely grateful for we've done several things together but we did a project called bug which was uh yes uh, i have okay good because that's one of my favorite things and i anybody that likes my stuff i i wish that they would grab that and 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 also if you're not a fan of our stuff but we're a fan of all of these uh, open-ended DC storylines that were never finished. We <laughs> finished them, and it's just very gratifying that we got to get in there and you know tie up Omac and all of these other things. And it, I just love that. I just that that was just just one giant party making that that. Oh, uh, I, I love series. that. I, I love that book that um, you're on so many levels. That book is just really wonderful. You're talking to somebody. Also, who's a big Kirby fan and, um, you know, fourth world fan. And, and yeah, so, and I, I was, you know, a kid when all that was coming out and collect, I have, you know, all the original issues and stuff. And I have a complete fourth world, you know, collection of the original stuff. And wow. So I was a big, big fan. So seeing this, you know, so many people have taken Kirby and played with it and gone into that sandbox and had some good times with it. But, you know, what you've done here is really fulfilling and really you know, it it does exactly what you're saying it does. It it ties things together, and there's a real complete arc here, and uh, it's very gratifying. And the work is just stellar. It's stunning, you know. And I'm I'm speaking now as an art aficionado and also an artist myself. You were working at a freaking level, man. That is just, it's just your game is so on and so high on everything you're doing. The level of consistency and and inventiveness in every project is is mind-boggling. It's beautiful. And keep uh, talking. Yeah, no, I, I'm telling you, I've been a fan, but now I'm, uh, you know, I'm just in awe. Um, this Thank book, you. fabulous. That, that that sincerely means so much to me. Uh, well, you know, I I I, I do gush a lot, I, and and I suppose my audience knows this. Um, as a cartoonist, you know, looking at the stuff that you do over the years, it's just been really inspiring and gratifying. And um, and the stuff you, Bowie, just blew my socks off. Um, Yay! You know, <laughs> oh my God, uh, what a what, I mean, in a lot of ways, that book to me is the quintessential. Michael Allred book, it brings together so many themes. It's like seeing Red Rocket 7, you know, taken and expanded upon or just blown open even more. Um, yeah. You know, you connecting with the source material, which is, you know, the spiders from Mars. And uh, I mean, uh, you know, anyway, the, the level you're working at, both Bug, Bowie, Silver Surfer, all this stuff, the last 10 years has just been since uh, wh when do you really think that that you started to blow open your storytelling um maybe it was with the beginning of madman atomic comics somewhere in there your page design everything just grew exponentially 
And this isn't to say it wasn't great before it was, but now here it is even, even more amazing. Well, that's exactly what I, I hope people see in it because uh, you'll often see artists here was their prime and now they're just kind of barely holding it together anymore. And it's like, why does that happen? It shouldn't happen. It should be the other way around. They, it should be constantly evolving and improving and, and, and growing. And um, so I'm very conscious of, of wanting again, what I'm doing today to be better than what I did yesterday. So I'm always looking at, at, at how can I make this better? How can I improve this? How can I be more efficient here? How can I be more prolific, more productive? Where, where can I, how can I take my inspiration and, and spill it into my work without being derivative of something else, but to enhance what's original about my own stuff? Um, th these are the thoughts that are going through my head while I'm working and, uh, and, um, letting having enough trust in my instincts to like just let it flow and not overthink stuff or not overwork stuff or it, it's a balance at every every with every line mm -hmm. um and so so i have to let my instincts take a lot of that weight and because those other thoughts are just constant and constant but again like before just am i enjoying this yes am i enjoying this am i excited to get back to to my drawing table. Yes, I'm excited to get back to my drawing table. I think those are the the keys right there, and that's what nurtures the growth. And one of the great pleasures I had with Madman Atomic Comics was with that, I made a conscious decision that I'm going to try something new with each issue. Maybe the average person won't notice it, but I'm going to try something new, either in the storytelling. Like with issue nine, I created the world's biggest uh, comic book panel. Um, and if, if people don't know, if they go to uh, AAAPOP.com, they can see it unbroken. Uh, you can go there, click on a link, and zoom in on it, and scroll left to right, and see it completely connected. And yeah. um, then there was a uh, uh, swipe from Dimension X, uh, where um, Every panel, I tried to incorporate chronologically a different artist that that I was inspired by. <laughs> it's so there's a Charles Schultz, mm -hmm. uh, Madman, um, you know, uh, Hank Ketchum, Madman, a Dr. Seuss, Madman, um, Maurice Sendak, Madman, Hal Foster, Johnny Craig, you know, all, all the way up to Darwin Cook and Craig Thompson and Paul Pope. And um, so it, that was really gratifying trying to um try to draw like they draw but w using my characters and i'd even study um what tools they used um like uh, l hirschfield the famous caricaturist yeah um, uh, i found exactly the kind of pen that he used the nib that he used and that's how i inked my hirschfield panel was w using the same tools that he used so it, it, and I got pleasure from that. And um, so that's the more those are the more, more obvious ones where these issues I'm really doing something trying to, you know, expand myself. Mm -hmm. And um, and others are like, I'm going to use uh, this technique on this issue or I'm going to try. Uh, I'm going to try this storytelling technique in this issue. And so for, I think, 16, 17 issues, I, I made that conscious effort. And I would attribute that to be the 
the greatest noticeable growth in my career. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's it's mostly just been about uh, just doing my absolute best with what's in front of me, having nurtured these skills and figuring out this. I like to do this. I like to use that. I'm not going to use that. This doesn't work. This does work. This makes this better. This actually stops a story. This actually makes a, 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 the art pop out more. This actually makes it look flatter or dead or lifeless or uninteresting. Um, one thing that I did with the Bowie book was um, I uh, decided to hand letter it. Now I'm not a, I'm not a great letterer, but it was important to me to completely t- control every aspect of the composition. And by hand lettering it, I'm not wasting any drawing and and the compositions fit inside the text rather than text just being slapped on afterwards. So the, you know, the panel borders and everything are all designed around how the text needs to be incorporated into the story. And so uh, the. Um, wow. Well, OK. I'm doing a follow-up to Bowie. I, oh. I, I'm, I'm not, uh, not, it's not Bowie. It's another, um, I, I, I will tell you, it's one of the most significant, if not the most significant musical acts ever. And that's what I'm doing with uh, Ben Saunders. We're working on that together. Okay. And um, so there's a massive hit, and you can speculate on what that might might be, a massive hint and um, I'm uh, doing the same thing again, where I'm hand lettering it, and, and but also it's not it's not necessarily even though my my lettering isn't the greatest lettering in the world. Um, what happened with Bowie was it's it's actually the the best selling thing I've ever done, and it's, I think it's in twelve different languages now. Oh wow! And with each of those languages, uh, I didn't letter those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course not. <laughs> so they they just simply uh, uh, remove the text and then uh, digitally put the new languages in, but they have to make it fit in my, in my balloons, which I hand lettered in my caption boxes, which I hand, uh, hand did. So, um, but ultimately was, it was very worth the extra time. And it, it is a lot of extra time doing that hand lettering, but I'm so glad I did it. I, I, and in a lot of ways I miss that. I, I, I wish there was a, more productive way to to have uh, a letterer put the lettering directly on the artwork and there's so much stuff that i've drawn that's just been covered up because i misjudged it you know you get the script and over time i've I've gotten very very good at knowing exactly how much space i need for a caption or or word balloons but then a lot of stuff also gets rewritten or amended or added Mm -hmm. in afterwards and so a whole arm will just disappear yeah, you know, and and if I had known that was going to happen, obviously I would have drawn it differently. But that's just the nature of production, you know, it, it, just to get stuff out on time and keeping the train moving. Um, so that that's one of the sacrifices. But with this particular uh, project and the follow up, I, I have complete control over it, okay. and and it's really gratifying. Well, I think the lettering, you know, I mean, I. I got to tell you, you know, I, I know I, I'm familiar with the lettering, with the Blambot lettering, and it's I think it's Nate Pico. He's my, he's my hero. Yeah, yeah he's the one the guy. that kind of. Uh, in fact, I I uh, he I I did uh, handwriting for him. He developed a font for me, mm-hmm. and then um, that is uh, that's what I look at when I'm hand lettering. 
to okay. make sure that that my lettering is consistent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Nate's a Nate's a champ, man. I love that guy. So are you using like an Ames lettering guide and all that when you're sitting down to do your lettering, or are you? you no, know? I I tried using that and it uh-huh. just it Didn't. just confused me. <laughs> it became too <laughs> tedious. Yeah. Um, it was more important for me to just uh, I have a. Do you know what a rolling ruler is? Uh no, I don't. They used to, they, there used to be a TV advertisement. Um, and that's where I ordered my first one. I'll see some art supplies have it. It's, um, it's a clear plastic ruler. You can get them small or large. And then there's like a, a wheel. Um, and, uh, it's, there's like a tube that runs along the bottom of the ruler with two wheels on either side. And uh-huh. if you push down, it keeps the ruler in place. But when you roll it, it rolls it uh, perfectly. Uh-huh. So you can just so you can just keep rolling line, roll line, roll line, roll line, roll line, and they're all perfectly parallel. Oh, that's and, cool. Um, so that's my that's my tool of choice. Okay. Now, uh, you know the, the Bowie book. I have one right in front of me right now. Oh. Want to hear what it sounds like? <laughs> sure. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, sounds very functional. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, um, the, the Bowie book to me, um, when I was reading the Bowie book as somebody who's been reading your work for a long time, it seemed to me like you had found the, it was like the perfect meeting of, you know, great comic art, but also with a subject that is, it's, it's beyond dear to your heart. This is something that's integral to who you are. This, the, the huge, huge, the figure of Bowie and the music and that period of rock in particular, um, seems to be like, okay, here's, here's my thought, right? Bowie goes through this whole period of identity, you know, in the seventies, he's one of those first chameleon performers really in the seventies that, that goes through this process of change over and over and over again. And this process of change seems to be this, a questioning of identity, and who, who is my identity? And that, well, I mean, let's go right to Madman from that. It's like the f- first essential question of Madman is, who am I? And which is an essential question I think we all ask, but I think that's a, it's like the thread that runs through everything that you've done. And I, I mean, even right through some of the Marvel stuff, you know, through Silver Surfer and whatnot, there's this question there, who am I? You know, and yeah. Bowie explores that overtly in a period of time, I think that is very, um, uh, important in your life, you know, and maybe there's something about that connection that in some ways you're coming full circle to come back to Bowie, to tell the story about Bowie. Um, because there's something integral in that experience of his work and his persona or many personas. That's also integral to, you know, the work you've done as a cartoonist. Yeah, it's uh, almost his influence is in almost everything I do. Uh, that that's how impactful Boy was on me. Um, he's also the only artist I can think of that I completely discovered independently on my own. Mm-hmm. I I was down at the drugstore to you know I was on the spinner rack looking for my latest comics fix, and over on the magazine rack were music magazines, and there was a uh, cream magazine and on the cover was a picture of him and uh his wife at the time a- angela bowie and they were uh the outfits they were wearing and the way the cover was airbrushed they looked like um aliens <laughs> and i was like it just the image just 
blew me away. I, 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 so I grabbed it and I, and I looked through it and there was a center poster of it, uh, of, uh, the diamond dogs, the uncensored mm-hmm. diamond dogs cover. So, mm-hmm. the, uh, so this pull out poster and, and then there's the article and I'm reading it. And, uh, and then, so I'm with this, there's references to Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars, Aladdin Sane. So th- this should date it perfectly. It would have been in you know 1974 sometime where we figure out exactly when this magazine came out. And I went backwards from there on my way. I bought the magazine because like, who is this? <laughs> and, um, and on my way home, and we lived just a few blocks up from a classic Americana downtown Roseburg, Oregon, the, the main street, which had the toy store and the music store and the shoe store. And so as I'm walking back from uh, Payless Drugstore, where I bought the magazine and some comics, I go to Ricketts Music Store to see if they have any David Bowie stuff. And they had uh, they had the new single of Rebel Rebel. Oh, yeah. And now this is the single version. It's not the longer uh, the the album version actually has less production. The single has all this uh, extra production on it. And then the flip side is Lady Grinning Soul from Aladdin Sane, the the previous studio album, because uh, Pinups the cover album was in in the middle there too. So when I get home, I put this forty five on and I hear Rebel Rebel, and it's like this is so cool. And I, the flip side, Lady Grinning Soul, which is this really sexy erotic ballad, mm-hmm. and my my young prepubescent brain is freaking out. <laughs> this is so sexy and and. Like there's a lyric where it, it touched the fullness of her breast and feel the love of her caress. And it's like, wow. <laughs> and then, then, then back to rebel rebel, which is a party with this amazing riff. Yeah. Great. And so I just played it over and over again, flipped it over, played it over and over again, flipped it over. And I had a paper out at the time. And, uh, it was also around that time that in Spider-Man, um, they killed Gwen Stacy, one of my childhood crushes. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much went cold Turkey on comics. Because wow. it, it literally traumatized me. It devastated me. How could you kill Gwen? You know, how to, and, and, and it looked like Spider-Man did it because he catches her and then you see, see her neck break or something. It was devastating. And so I, I spent less and less money on comics and more and more money building this record album collection. And so starting from the just released Diamond Dogs album, I went backwards. And so, so you get pinups and Aladdin Sane and Ziggy Stardust and the man who fell to earth and hunk, a uh, man, man who sold the world, uh, hunky dory, the space oddity album. Um, so anyway, I, so all of those albums are my absolute favorite Bowie albums because I got them all in this very short period of time. So it was just this very intense, just mass dump of this stuff on me and almost all of it. It has uh, fantasy and science fiction and um, the imagery. Uh, nobody painted a picture better than Bowie in, in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. You know, the Superman, you know, where you you hear this song about these people that that they it sounds like they want to die, but they're cursed to live forever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, whoa, who would even think of such a thing? And um and of course, uh, space oddity, you know, yeah, major sure. Tom floating endlessly, helplessly into space. So all of this imagery is going through my head and I just went nuts for it and just for it. And so, uh, at, but then at school, you know, you get the ignoramuses and like, 
you can't like him. He's, he's, he's a fag and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, he's married. And, and so what if he is, if he, so uh, you're telling me this, this stuff, which I just clearly love so much. And it inspires me so much. You're telling me that if, if he's homosexual, I'm not, I, I can't listen to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, right then and there, I learned a lot about acceptance and who your real friends are and, and, uh, hate speech and intolerance. And so at a very early age, I learned about, you know, if you like something, stick up for it, champion it, (laughs) uh, and don't, don't let outside forces tell you what you can and can't like, or what can and can't inspire you. And, um, so that, so for all of those reasons, um, Bowie just became hugely important to me and, uh, just, just, just loved everything he did since. Um, and, and talk about experimenting and finding joy and creativity. Every, almost every album he did would be, you know, I know I'm going to take a left turn here and I'm going to take a right turn there. And, and you never knew what, what was going to happen, but you always knew that it was going to be really interesting and it always, always was. And, um, so a never ending source of inspiration, but man, that, that 69 to 74 period, Mm -hmm. I, I just, it, it, just is just so powerful to me and and just lit me up creativity uh creatively and um around that time i discovered uh uh barry windsor smith and Mm -hmm. um and uh there was that the book the studio with uh bernie wrightson and um michael kaluta um jeff jones and so I, I'm do, doing more artsy, painterly kind of stuff, experimenting with that, and, and while I'm listening to my record albums, and <laughs> and just uh, on and on and on. So the the, the because I was uh, always because of my brother, uh, um, our family fell apart. Long story short, and that's where a lot of my problems came from. But before that, in this idealized childhood, which I was telling telling you about, the, the best part of that was that the encouragement that Dad always had uh, for us, and, and and also this great influence that Lee, my older brother, had on me and his comic book collection, and and defining my tastes, where I'm I might, you know, I might go for the Casper or Hot Stuff comic, and then and which is there's some great stuff to celebrate there, mm-hmm. but when I get home and he's got these legion of superhero comics and and uh you know fantastic four i'm like i want those (laughs) yeah sure (laughs) um so uh so anyway the it it, it, they're with this and and discovering this uh inspirational force completely on my own without somebody saying oh you should you should listen to this or you should read this this is something i completely discovered on my own and chased after and so of course from there from bowie you you're then you you then learn about iggy pop and the stooges and you learn about Mata hoople and lou reed and how bowie and mick ron and mick ronson and how they produced the uh you know the, the um trend uh transformer album walk in the wild side and perfect day and satellite of love and all the young dudes and with Mata Hoople and uh, Roxy Music. And mm-hmm. and so it, it was just this, so so prior to that, and my cousin Robin, who I told you lived with us, uh, it was all about the British invasion. So uh-huh. it was uh, the Beatles and the Kinks and the Rolling Stones and the Who and Herman's Hermits and um, uh, the Zombies. 
Oh yeah. And so, well, so, so there was all that. And, and that was uh, really deep and rich um, in the environment because of her uh, living with us. But then when it, it, then after the family, my parents divorced and, and it would, it, it boiled down to just me and dad. And so I was kind of left to my own devices. And, and th- this, this is where um, I found this atomic bomb of creative inspiration with uh, this whole new era of music with, because um, at this point, the glam rock movement was pretty much over. Yeah. But I was discovering it retrospectively through from Diamond Dogs backwards and then finding all this other stuff. So I I amassed this huge record collection in less than a year. You know, with that wow. my paper route money picked up all of these different um, you know, 70s plus uh, uh British invasion, the the glitter rock, glam rock British invasion, yeah. the second wave. And um, so those have always been the two biggest uh, musical inspirations for me and where my band, The Gear, would, um, at least for my part of it, you know, um, Mm -hmm. that's where I would get most of my um, drive, those those crunchy riffs and and psychedelic swirls. And um, that's where it all comes from for me. Yeah, and and what's interesting too is, I mean, two things popping in my mind. But the visuals, um, you know, were the thing that grabbed you the, at first was Bowie's visual persona, the presentation, and you know, the idea that he was looking, he and his wife Angie looked like aliens on in Cream magazine, you know, attracted you to it. And in a way, that feeds right back into comics. I mean, the whole glam rock era, you know, there's, you know, you think about in Martha Hoople over end Watts and those boots that he's wearing, and yeah. You, they're like straight out of, you know, I don't know, some kind of comic book, uh, sci-fi, yeah. you know, somewhere over yeah, somewhere they're, in heaven. They're over like superheroes with with guitars it, and drums. And yeah, Kiss was like the ultimate, you know, and the yeah. comic book band, really. They became a comic book band. Yeah, they? they 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 really tapped into the commercial aspect of that. But for me, it was it all just looked like a big party and. Uh-huh. And everybody just loved who they loved. And, you know, the, you would hear so, like, well, even with the kinks, even way before that with Lola. Sure. It's like, yeah. this song kicks ass. But then what? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> what's, you know, what's this girls want to be boys? What's boys? happening here? <laughs> yeah, it, there's a lot going on there. And uh, but how can you not how can you listen to all that stuff and for a second feel prejudice or 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 you know, fear of the other or somebody who's not like you or somebody that wants to dress up crazy wild and, and put their own flair on something. Why wouldn't you celebrate that? Sure. You know? And, and so I've never been able to understand people that just want to tear people down that want to, that just want to be, you know, just be themselves unhindered, you know, and just let their creativity flow. And all of that stuff is, is that for me, it's like, D- don't for a second tell me that I can't love this. This stuff is great. Yeah, yeah. You know, w- one of the things that strikes me about, uh, th- that hit me in the Bowie book that I'd really never, I mean, I'd been aware of but hadn't thought of before, was that Bowie really came at music and rock and roll kind of, yeah, he'd always been a musician, but he was coming out of this environment where there was a multimedia kind of approach to art making, that everything was art. Music was art. Painting was art. Drawing was art. Mime was art. Theater yeah. was art. 
all of this, and they were all doing it within this this uh, arts group that they had at the time. So there was this whole multimedia approach that he brought to it that. You know, when I was like 13, 12, 13, I wasn't really aware of that's what he was doing. You know, rock and roll was rock and roll, right? Theater was theater. There was like this division between these things. Um, of course, in the late 60s, that starts to break down. But Bowie really is the is the bridge between a kind of not just art rock, but this idea that music and that we need not divide our creativity into you know neat little boxes i'm going to be a painter i'm going to be this that and the other thing that it's all part and parcel of being creative and yeah. that you can bring it all to bear you know in the work that you present to people and he does that you know so in the mu the music is one aspect and one presentation and then you know the visuals are another presentation and he made that all part of sort of an organic whole. It strikes me that in a way you're kind of living that out too, uh, you know, both as a cartoonist, but also, okay, you've got the music, you've got the movie making, you know, you've got the theater, uh, all of this kind of thing you're bringing together in a kind of life that is more than just, you know, the boxes we put Michael Allred into or other artists into. I think you just summarized exactly how important uh, his influence was on me because that's exactly right. Like, mm -hmm. why, why limit yourself? If, mm -hmm. if tomorrow I want to make a big statue, I'm going to figure out how to do it, you know, um, because that's where where my inspiration is taking me. And that's just part one. <laughs> Next time, Mike and I talk more about comics, about the process, about Mad Men, about comic book movies and Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and just about everything else comics. So that should be out next week sometime. So be on the lookout for that, okay? It's sure not to disappoint you. And if you need a Mad Men fix in the meantime, head to your comic shop and pick up Mad Maniverse Volume 1, that big collection of 1990 to 96 Mad Men. All of that great early stuff from Mike Allred and Laura Allred. You will fall in love with comics again when you pick up Mad Maniverse Volume 1. I kid you not. I do not exaggerate. Uh, that's what I did. That's what Frank and Joe do uh, in Mad Men. It's what Mike Allred and Laura Allred brought to comics back in the early 90s, this kind of joy and, and exuberance and, and an unbridled joy in comics and superheroes and everything that was kind of kitschy from the 60s and and yet all of the stuff we loved from the 60s that as we grew older we felt like we grew out of but had a deep affection for he brought all that stuff forward and into the 90s and made it new again and it, it was okay to love twister it was okay to love that all of those crazy games you played as a kid it was okay to love creepy crawlies remember those that mold making machine where you got those little gummy looking insect type things that you'd like leave on other kids desks and <laughs> scare them uh, not me of course i never did that it was okay to love yo-yos who who else would you know make a yo-yo uh, his hero's greatest weapon <laughs> i mean come on mike allred in madman in madmaniverse volume one you know when i flip through madmaniverse volume one and these early 
uh, Madman Comics. The the joy of creation is so palpable on the page that it, it fills me with, you know, the desire to make comics and, and get back to the drawing board, as does, you know, when I'm looking at Bowie, his latest work, or anything that he's working on, or, or any great comics artist, you know, but Michael Allred is definitely up there for me, and, and so when I pick up his stuff and I flip through this stuff, you know, the joy of creation is just right there on the page in Mad Maniverse Volume 1, and it sent me to the drawing board then, and it's sending me to the drawing board right now. I gotta get out of this stuffy little recording studio I'm in and get back to to the iPad and do some more comic stuff for my new comic green screen. I don't need to tell you more about it, do I? Follow me on Instagram at green screen comic, okay, for all the latest news and updates and sneak peeks and backstage stuff and hints and announcements about the Kickstarter and when it's going to happen because this this is a comic book masterpiece, I'm telling you. So be on the lookout for it, okay? Green screen comic, green screen comic on Instagram. Uh, and green screen number one coming out on Kickstarter this summer. I can't wait to get it into your hands. As well as Mad Maniverse Volume 1. Head to the comic shop now. Get your copy before they're all gone, before it's too late, okay? Okay, enough for today. It's hot in here. It's stuffy. I'm suffocating. I gotta go, and I gotta make comics. So I will see you next time. Part two, Mike Allred and myself in conversation next week. Be here. Okay. Thanks for listening.